0: Let me have you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We are now in the book, uh, book of uh, Ephesians, now in chapter 5. We have been going through this all somewhat of last year. We'll finish it up here in the next few weeks. We're, we're in chapter 5 and then chapter 6. And in this passage, Paul presents the positive truths about true godly love. And the negative truths about Satan's counterfeit love and its consequences. And in chapter 5, once again, in verse 1, it starts off by the the same word that we've looked at. We looked at it last week, and it's therefore. And so what Paul has been discussing ever since chapter 4, walk the worthy walk. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the word therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, goes back to all the teaching, all the doctrine of everything that he's been teaching us. It is that you're, you, are, you were predestined... And you have been called, you have been adopted, you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee in our, of our inheritance. And you've acquired this possession to the praise and the glory of his, of his name. Uh, you were dead in your trespasses at one time, but God made you alive. And that's the, a very key word in chapter 2, uh, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with us, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You were at one time, I was at one time dead in my sins. And then in verse 8 of chapter 2, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. There's nothing that you can do for any of the salvation that God has freely given you not by works so that anyone can boast. And because he's given you this grace, verse 10 tells us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you were created, you were saved, you were predestined, you were brought to life for good works. Not bad works. And he goes on to explain the mystery of the gospel, how it was revealed to the Gentiles. And it was, at first thought it was only for the Jews, but, but it, was, it was all for this whole plan that God had been doing from the very, very beginning of the foundations of the world. Your name has been put in the book of life. And because of all that, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. And if you remember correctly, I'm telling you, right, Paul has, is writing this from prison. And he doesn't see himself as a prisoner of the state, a prisoner of the Jews or a prisoner of Rome; he sees himself as a prisoner of the lord jesus christ and and we we talked a lot about that what that meant, and he says, i therefore a prisoner for the Lord." urge you. The word urge is a very strong, compelling, begging, pleading. I urge you because of what God has done for you. Because all these these songs that we sing that were redeemed and, and I, I stand amazed at the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, that how he can love a sinner condemned and unclean like me. Uh, and because of that, we, we we Paul is saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. And so we went through the new life the old life and the new life. And it was fitting because we ended up the year talking about the old life and we started the new year talking about the new life. And we talked about that last week. Therefore, verse 25 of chapter four, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. And we talked about speaking the truth in love. And today in chapter five, verse one, Paul goes back and he says, you know, therefore, all these things that I've been telling you because of all these things I've said, he says, now you need to be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3 of chapter 5, "'But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place.'" But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Do not become partakers with them. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture that falls at just the right time. The start of a new year, a new walk. Lord, we, as we mentioned last week, it's just because it's a new year does not mean it's a new me. We all woke up being the same old person. And we pray, God, that the only way that we can be a new person is if that heart within us changes and is transformed Father, we've tried many other ways and different things and resolutions and these disciplines and, and self-control. And, and Father, all we, all we need to do now is just to repent from the way of our walking and our, our living and return to you and confess our sin. So I pray, Father, that this morning that we, we get a, a deeper dose of your truth that causes the change within our life. Thank you, Lord. Once again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. In your outlines, number one, walking, how to be imitators of God. How to be imitators of God. It's interesting because that's what Paul says. Therefore, be imitators of God. You're thinking, how do you do that? How do you become an imitator of God? Number one, walk in love. Walk in love. That's how we become imitators of God. Imitators, uh, memethes. Memethes is the word that we use for mimic, And Paul uses it, and and we translate it into imitate or imitator, and, and someone who copies a specific characteristic of another person. And you've seen people mimic other people, in a bad sense but we also want to mimic people in a good sense as well you learn some good habits some good practical uh things in life to be able to further your profession further your life and doing the things that other people do if a person is su- successful you want to imitate their walk what are they doing what kind of uh investments are they making what is their um what, what is their um work ethic like one of the things that helped me out from a very young age is my father taught me how to work hard. And my father, he was washing cars and he was cleaning out cars. And he, he said to me, I remember I was just a young teenager, barely about 11 or 12, maybe even 13. And he says, whatever you do, do it as to the best of your ability. Whatever. If you're sweeping floors, sweep it to the best of your ability. If you're mopping, mop to the best of your ability. Always show up on time. Never quit or never stop. And and always show up, even if you're sick, show up to work. And he would teach me that and he would take me with him every single time. We'd go out in the fields and we would call we would do what was called chopping cotton. Chopping cotton is they they plant all these cotton seeds and long rolls of field uh, in these fields. And what you had to do, because there were so many of them, they would choke each other out. So you'd have to walk all these rows and just cut out two or three, two or three, and only leaving two or three in between each other the size of the hoe that you would be using. And, and, and this is what we would do. And he showed me how to do this. He showed me how to prune grapes. He showed me how to pick grapes. He showed me how to do all these different types of work. He showed me how to never give up, work hard, always doing the best that you can. And and I, I wanted to mimic him and, and follow his example because he was a hard worker and he did well. And, and so in, in the same sense, when you see somebody doing well, you, and, and the bad thing about that is we mimic people that aren't doing well. You know, this is where gangs come from. Gang members, they need a father figure. They look to the gang person in their life that they can look up to. For whatever reason, they, they just seem to want to gravitate toward all the evil. And so we have to be imitators of God first and foremost. And the, the, the bad thing about that is how do you become an imitator of God? God is perfect. God is pure. God is the person that we are supposed to be reverent to and, and you know, not to disrespect him. But we've already gotten a clue from what Paul is talking about because this is his theme. This is his, his thrust. This is his, his whole purpose of writing this. Walk The worthy walk, as I mentioned to you in Ephesians 4, verse 1, in your outlines. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. How do you do that? How do you walk this walk? Well, beloved, most of you already know. You know, there's just some things that you shouldn't do. You already know this. It's inside of you you've already been fused with the holy spirit and you grieve the holy spirit and you know that you grieve the holy spirit whenever you say you do you act in a certain way and god says don't do that it's it's inborn it's it's a supernatural thing and you have the supernatural power to fight off the temptation to fight off the anger to fight off all these things last week we talked about that paul says in your anger do not sin it's interesting he didn't say don't get angry you can get angry, but don't sin while you're angry. In other words, don't lash out, hurt people with your voice or with your hands or with your words, because once you've said something, you cannot unsay it. It's been said. It's been done. So we are to, we are to walk the manner in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. And that calling that you've been called, you've been called into salvation. Called as being saved. You have been called to be a child of God in His kingdom. You need to walk in such a manner. You cannot be a part of anybody's kingdom. You cannot be a part of a king's kingdom and walk the way you want to as a peasant. If you're part of the king's court, you act yourself, you comport yourself, you dress up as as such because otherwise the king would kick you out. Not that God is going to kick you out. If you're saved, you're saved. There's nothing that God you can do about that and there's nothing anybody can do about that because God's already taken care of that. What Paul is saying is act like you have been called, that is, if you have been called. Look at verse uh, chapter 4, verse 17 in your outlines. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Okay, walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling, but don't walk like the Gentiles do. And of course we're not talking about your footsteps one in front of the other, but it's your manner of living, it's what you do in life, it's from going from point A to point B. Walk according to what God's called you to do. How do you find that out? Well, first of all, it's all in God's word. Second of all, attend a Bible teaching church that will show you what the Bible says, not what he believes to be the truth, to help you to walk you through the principles of the scripture so that you can apply them to your life, to your family, to your job, to your everything else, to your community. We're going to be talking about that in chapter 6. Look at verse 5, chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is a theme that Paul just keeps talking about. Walk, walk, walk in such a way that you can be imitators of Christ, imitators of God, imitators of who He is. And this is all done in the sense where, where, where number one, it's all centered around love. Walk in love. Walk in love. The word there is uh, agape. Agape is an unconditional love. There's other words that people use, uh, excuse me, that are used in the Greek uh, Bible and in the Greek speaking. There's At least five, and three of them are used in the New Testament: agape, philo, and eros. Eros is where we get our word erotic. It's that romantic love that you have for another person. Eros is 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 that that romantic love, that that erotic love that you have for one. And philo is the brotherly love, the love that you have for friends. And and so when you would say, "I love my friends," you wouldn't use the uh, you could use the agape love, but you would more than likely use the the philo love, the brotherly love, instead of the romantic love. And Paul, Paul is saying here, you need to love the way God loves. He loves unconditionally. The love that God gives is a love that doesn't expect anything back. He says, I love you just because I love you. See, we say, I love you because you're good to me, or I love you because you make me happy, or I love you because you do things for me. That's not unconditional love. There are conditions to our love where God says there are no conditions to his love. It's in a sense like loving a baby. Take the baby in your arms and you love him, you cuddle him, you feed him, you change him, you, and there's nothing that child can do for you. Right, Papas? Little Papas is saying, yeah, Grandpa, preach it. There you go, keep telling him. <laughs> there's nothing he can do except to poop and throw up on you and cry. <laughs> That's all they can do. And even in that, you find unconditional love to do the thing that you wouldn't do for anybody else. And see, that's what love is, unconditional love. You want to see what unconditional love is? Look at a mother and her child. And you know how to have that type of love. And that kind of love grows and develops. Some people just have it automatically. And it's not something that just happens just all of a sudden. You have to grow in it. For years, you know, I, I would tell my wife, I love you. I love you so much. You know, I, I you know, I would die for you. I would die for you. She says, well, you know, you've been saying that for a lot of times. Let me see you prove it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, because you really don't love me as such, as of yet. But I'll tell you now, I, I would do it now. It takes years to develop that kind of love. What I had for her was an eras, this is romantic love. I just wanted to be next to her and be with her, and, and I still do. But now it's unconditional it's unconditional where you would do something for them when they can't do anything back for you. This is the kind of love that Paul is saying, walk in love as Christ did. He loved us and gave himself up for us. He, when we were still sinners, when we were at the worst of our worst, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died for us. He died for us and gave us forgiveness and he forgave us. When people say, I'll never forgive that person, I could never forgive that person. You know what you're saying? You're saying that you're greater than God because God could forgive that person. Hey, God forgave you. And you're saying that you can't do that. God can do it. So if you can't do it, that means you're greater than God because you're doing something that you're going to do something that even God can't do. And the more that you hold on to that anger and that resentment. Now, now just so you know, you know, let me just interject this here at this time. And I've said this many times before. Forgiveness is one thing. Okay, But trust is a different issue. See, you must forgive. That's just bottom line. If you're a believer, a genuine believer, and God has redeemed you, and you have been redeemed, and you stand amazed at the presence of Jesus Christ because of what He's done for you, loved a sinner like you. And if you really believe that, then He forgave you the worst offense that you could ever do against God. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus tells about forgiveness. And he says that there is this man that owed this king over $5 million. And the guy couldn't pay him back. So he, he goes, the king has the guy arrested and thrown in prison, brought to court. And the man says, I, I, I don't have the money. There's no way I can bring up that money. And the king says, well, you and your whole family are going to have to pay for it in prison. We, we're going to die in prison. Please forgive my debt. Remember, this is a parable. This is the story that Jesus Christ is telling And in that parable, Jesus says that the king had compassion and mercy on the man. And he says, you know what? I mean, what's $5 million? I mean, I've got hundreds of millions of dollars here, so don't worry about it. Your debt is set free. Go ahead and go for it. As he's walking out of the courthouse, he sees a guy that owes him 50 bucks. And he says to the guy, hey, you owe me 50 bucks. Well, you know, I can't pay you. What? You can't pay me? Arrest him, which people could do at that time. If you didn't have the money that people, that you owed people you could have them arrested and thrown in prison until somebody paid that $50. And he felt justified. He says, he owes me money, which is right. He owed him money. And when the king got word of what happened, he says, you wicked and vile servant. Why would you do so? After I forgave you all that debt and you're not willing to forgive somebody else? You you see, people are going to offend you. And sometimes, rightly so, (laughs) You're going to do stuff that, that, you know, that people are just going to get mad at you and they're going to offend you. They're going to get back to try to get back at you sometimes at no fault of your own. And people are going to upset you, offend you. They're going to burn you. The Bible says to forgive them. That's the kind of love that God is talking about. You forgive them. Now, If they burn you, if they offend you, if they cut you, if they whatever the case they do, you forgive them, but you let them back in your life. Well, no, trust is a different issue. Okay, trust is a different issue. You see, people say, if I forgive them, and if I forgive their faults, then then they're just going to get away with it. They're going to get away with what? Because they stand before God. God himself says, you know, don't pay back evil for evil. Pay back evil with good. That's how you overcome it. You see, when you overcome evil with good, it throws them all off. But you say, what? Yeah, you're all right, man. Here. Here's 50 bucks. You know what? Forget it. Don't worry about it. You know, I I don't want the money back. It's yours. Really? Well, I ain't going to pay you back. Okay, well, good. I don't want you to pay me back. Well, what if I want to pay you back? You know what? If you want to pay me back, best give it to the church or give it to somebody else that needs it. Because right now, I am good. You know? And and when you do that to people, it just throws them off. You repay evil with good. Because he says, in the end, God says, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. I can take care of things better than you can. Don't you think? God says, I'll take care of it at just the right time. Forgiveness is a must, but trust is a different issue. You can forgive them and love them from the curb. And I've seen this over and over again. People forgive people and they say, oh, well, that means i got to let them back in my life. No, you don't. You don't have to let them back in your life. You know, God didn't ask you to be a doormat. He's not asking you to be dumb. What you do is you, you, you use wisdom. And this person is, you know, desperately needing some sort of help. You give this person the the number for a helpline. Call these people. Talk to these people. And until you've already shown some evidence, some fruit. Well, people. Yeah, and here's what happens. Well, you know, sometimes in a relationship, the guy says, "Okay, I'll go to counseling." He wants counseling. Goes goes in there, talks to the person. All right, I went. Can I come back? There's no evidence of your change. There is no evidence of your transformation. I forgive you. I feel bad for you. I have pity upon you because of the type of person that you are until there is a regenerated effect in your life. I can't let you back into my life. And see, Jesus was a master at this. He forgave people, but he didn't trust them. He didn't, they wanted to kill him right off the top. They wanted to make him king right away. He didn't trust people. He didn't walk into Jerusalem to be murdered until the appointed time. And until then, he went around. The Bible says he took the side roads. He went through the back. They wanted to make him king. They wanted to murder him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. But it wasn't until the third Passover that he finally came forth and said, okay, it's time that he came forth. Just as God's love is shown by how much he has forgiven us, the depth of our love is shown by how much we forgive. And we need to continue to forgive because that's the pattern. See what he says here? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the pattern. That's the highest good or the ultimate good of Christ that we are to imitate his love. He loved us and he gave himself up for us. It's interesting because I was talking to somebody this last week, just lost their mom. And he says, you know, I, I've been reading the Bible, and every time I read the Bible, man, I, I, I feel rotten. I go, well, what do you mean? Man, I'm just a rotten person, man. I'm just, I'm no good. He go, I go, well, good. Then you're reading the Bible right, because you're right. None of us are good. The Bible says there's no one good. No, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. The Bible says that we're all dead in our trespasses, as I just read a little while ago. The Bible says that we have offended a holy God. The Bible says that we were enemies of God. We are enemies of God. We don't want anything to do with God. The Bible says that we are just cut off from his righteousness. But because of his great mercy, because of what he did for us, this love that he had for us, he gave himself up for us, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that, beloved, should help us to to rejoice and say, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, first of all, start making amends with people that you've offended, or people that have offended you. You go up to them and say, you know what, I forgive you. I forgive you for what you said and done. More than likely, if it's a common thing, more than likely, they're going to come up to you and say, forgive me for what? I didn't do nothing. Okay, no no big deal. Okay, if you didn't do anything, then I don't remember anything. I just want you to know that I have no hard feelings against what you said. What did I say? Don't, Don't get baited into trying to argue again. Just say, okay, that's fine. Or they will say something to the effect of, you know what, I... Ever since I said that or did that, I, I felt really bad. I just don't know how to come up before you and tell you that I'm really sorry. Either which way, you've done your part. You forgive. And then you build your trust on that. Then you build your trust on that. Number two, we need to walk in purity. Walk in purity. You know, this, this portion of scripture. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthy nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is rampant in our society today. Sexual immorality has infiltrated our homes, our schools. Sexual morality has infiltrated the church. Back in 2005, they started to have this push on uh, same-sex marriages. And this same-sex marriage push started to go, and the state of California says, you know, you can't do that because marriage is between a husband and wife. Well, how do you know that? Well, because it's just, that's the way it is. And so in in 2008, there was a proposition, uh, Proposition 8, that was put on the ballot, and uh, the majority of the voters, over 52% of the people, voted for Proposition 8, saying that marriage is between a husband, a man, and a wife. That's how marriage is supposed to be. And, and so the, the whole premise behind it was that, while well, these guys are, are afraid, they're homophobic, they hate us, they this, they, they don't want us to have equal rights and all these other things. That's why it was put on Proposition 8, it was an Equal Rights Amendment. And, uh, but the, on the back end, the, we were saying, no, you know what, if this happens, then it's going to destroy the marriage. How is it going to destroy the marriage? How, it's going to destroy the home. How is it going to destroy the home? All we want is what we want. And you guys don't want us to have it. And, uh, you know, fortunately it was passed, and, and marriage was between a husband and a wife until they took it to the Supreme Court. They took it to the Supreme Court, and in the Supreme Court, they fought it, and they found that it was unconstitutional to proclaim that marriage is between one man and one woman. And so from that point forward, people were trying to fight against it. In 2013, it was enacted, and now we have marriage between one man and one woman. And see, no harm, no foul. And then we start having transgender issues. And then we start having women's bathrooms that can be entered by men that think they're women. And then we started having, and all, literally, hell has just broken loose. Now we have in our school system, they're teaching how to be transgender. They will give your child hormone therapy if that child believes that he's a boy or that he's a girl. And, so, and they don't even have to tell the parents. It's all done at the schools. And in the school system, you, you they're teaching and they have material now, the books that they're teaching kids. I'm talking about first, second, and third graders on how to have anal sex, on how to determine if you're a boy or a girl, on how to uh, be all inclusive and, and be tolerant of all these different genders. And you have all this stuff all from starting in 2008 with this marriage initiative. Now, some of you are thinking, really? I, I haven't heard of that. You no, know, you probably, maybe, if you haven't heard of it, is because you're not listening to you're listening to the mainstream news instead of to the regular news. I got this letter, and this, this is interesting because I got this letter uh, just recently from a uh, pastor friend of ours, and uh, and and he is stating, well, let me just read it to you. It's kind of lengthy, but, but let me read it to you. Uh, On on December 22nd, Pastor James Coates, I don't know if you remember James Coates out of Canada, Alberta, Canada. Uh, James Coates was the guy that uh, was arrested for having church meetings when the COVID-19 shutdowns, lockdowns happened. And so they arrested him, he was in prison, he just got out just recently. That was back in the summer of last year. Anyways, uh, his his email, his letter says that the Canadian government's decision to pass Bill C-4, which directly comes against parents and counselors who would seek to offer biblical counsel with respect to sexual immorality and gender. Now, he indicates that it could be used to criminalize evangelism. And the letter goes like this. He says, Bill C-4 passed through the House of Senates without opposition. Not a single dissenting vote was cast by any member of the conservative party. It received royal assent on December the 8th, which means it will come into law after January the 8th, which was yesterday. The bill will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is basically sharing the Bible with somebody who says, look, you are a man because the Bible says you're a man. And the Bible says you should not lay with another man. You're a woman. You should not lay with another woman. And therefore, you're in sin. And there's, there's a lot of sin in all our lives. We have a lot of sin that we have to deal with. If we have to walk in the manner that, of the calling that we have. And because of all of this, you know, this is what the Bible says, and you should repent Because I am concerned. I love you. I don't want you to spend all eternity in hell. And that's exactly what God's going to do. His wrath is on all those that are against Him. Conversion therapy is exactly that. When you talk to somebody about what the Bible says about who they are, And now in Canada, it's illegal. And by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but since 2013, it's been illegal in California and New York, and I believe in Nevada as well. But it hasn't really reared its ugly head the way it's doing in Canada at this moment. Conversion therapy. As a matter of fact, it says here, it will criminalize, among other things, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. They don't call it biblical therapy. They don't call it godly views. They call it conversion therapy. They're trying to convert you. You see, beloved, I've been saying this for, for some time now. You will be persecuted, not because you're a Christian. You will be persecuted because you'll become an enemy of the state. You'll become an enemy of the state by first and foremost, they allow this perversion. They accept this perversion. They promote this perversion. They legalize this perversion. And then they criminalize those that are against it. This is the law. You're breaking the law, so you gotta to go to prison because you're doing conversion therapy. In the preamble of the bill, it says that the belief that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. Let me just kind of define that for you. Basically, what they're saying here is that if you were a man, because when you were born, when you were born, The doctor picked you up and says, it's a boy. Or if you're a woman, because when you were born, the doctor picked you up and said, it's a girl. That is a myth. That no longer is valid to determine whether you're a boy or a girl. That's what they just said and all that stuff. The bill defines conversion therapy as a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, husband and wife, man and woman. Change a person's gender identity or cisgender. Change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. Repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Once again, basically what they're saying, if there's somebody in your congregation or in your family or anywhere and they are saying and they're confused because they don't know whether they're a boy or a girl you cannot tell them that the bible says or you're a boy because that's how you were born or you're a girl it doesn't matter if you have an xx for a girl or an xy for a boy that doesn't matter because you are what you want to be this is how far we've gotten in just the last five years after this law had passed this is in canada and in canada it's a law. If you preach this, you're going to prison. Well, the reason we got this letter, the reason we got this letter was because they are proclaiming right now that on January the 18th, next Sunday, they will be preaching against, or, uh, against this bill, this transgender heter- stuff that they're doing. And so what they're asking all the churches to do in the United States as well is to join them on January 16th, excuse me, across the nation that... Um, that they will be preaching on God's design for marriage in a biblical ethic of sexuality. And I thought to myself, well, I can't do that. I can't do that because I'm doing it today. <laughs> That's, it, it, was, it was already, God had already assigned it for us this morning because we've been going through the scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And it just so happens that we, we finished last week at this and then I got the email this last week and I'm thinking, okay confirmation for us but as as these things are unfolding beloved it is becoming normal and you wonder where this is coming from during the uh previous administration uh during the obama years they they he he says you know what the first thing they did is they lit up the white house in the rainbow color and he says we're going to put more transgender people more homosexual bisexual people in the white house than ever before And Joe Biden himself said, you know what, Uh, we're going to double that. And so far he has. We're going to go even more so on this agenda. There is an agenda right now to infiltrate not only within the government, within the schools, but in the homes. And beloved parents, you are going to be a criminal when you tell your children or your children's friends or somebody else, somebody that you know, somebody that you love, that that is wrong. And I've been sharing this with you for many years now. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? They're calling on all the churches to preach this on the 16th. We're doing it today. And we might continue to preach it as we go along as well. As it comes up. This is why when in verse 3 of chapter 5 Paul says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you. See this is a problem that just didn't happen in Canada. It didn't just happen in the United States or in California. This is a problem that's been going on for many years. And they didn't have any medical evidence. They didn't need any medical evidence. They didn't have any conversion therapy. They didn't need any of that. All they needed was to do whatever they, well, felt like, pleasing and doing. And, you know, when you're left up to your own devices, when you're left up to your own self, sexual immorality is rampant. It's powerful. It's strong. And then when you're told, hey, it's okay to have it with everybody else, it becomes even stronger. It never goes backwards. It increases. And it gets stronger. And whatever God established to be the right thing in this life and in this world, Satan will always counterfeit it, always go up against it. Where God establishes true love, Satan produces counterfeit love. Where counterfeit love characterizes Satan's children, those who are the world, true love characterizes God's children. This is why Paul says, walk, walk in the manner, walk in a worthy manner of the calling that you've got. Walk in love, in God's love, because he died for you. And he's talking to people 2,000 years ago that are experiencing the same thing that we're doing today. And back then, if you try to get yourself involved in people, in that case, you would be stoned, you would be killed. The Bible says that you need to help and encourage. You talk to people, share with them the love of God. You're loving them. You're not hating them. You're encouraging them. them. You talk to them because you love them. And that's what we're doing. We are walking in the love of Christ. For the love of Christ, you're in sin. And God is going to unleash his wrath upon you. And it's going to happen. And, it, and before that even happens, your life's going to be a mess. More suicides are within the transgender community than ever before, than any other group. More danger, more anger, there's more hatred Towards people, it's not a safe and fun community. There is more uh of uh, all kinds of vile and wicked things that happen within that community. It should it should not be surprising that the misguided quest for that kind of love, that love that only you know the world can offer and give you, you know, I just want to, I just want to be loved. Uh, you know, I don't want unconditional love at the moment. I mean, I'd love to have unconditional love. I'd love for somebody to love me just the way I am. And, and I'm going to go out and find it. And, uh, and I'm going to love the one that I'm with. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love because I'm searching for love. And I want that kind of love. And it always leads you to immorality and impurity. It's within the church. People have come up to me and, and they've introduced to me, I'd like to introduce to you my fiance. And my response Has always been. Now, let me ask you something. Is this your fiance in the traditional sense? Are you guys shacking up? Well, who are you to judge? Are you feeling judged? (laughs) I'm just asking a question. Because if you're a genuine Christian and you say she's a godly woman, I I, I pray that you guys aren't living together. But we're going to get married. We're in love. It doesn't matter whether you're going to get married, whether you're in love, you're still living in sin. And you want God to bless your marriage? How is that even possible? I, it doesn't even compute. But people are told that if you're in love, it's okay. You can, you can do that kind of thing. As long, and it all has to do with love. There's cases in New York, even right now, that fathers and daughters are saying they really love each other. And because they love each other, then they're, they're raising themselves up as husband and wife. Because they love each other. It's all about love. It doesn't stop there. It continues to increase to the vilest and the most uh, petrifying and worst relationships you can ever think of, immorality. Pornia is the word in Greek, refers to all sexual sin. And and it's it's the it's the opposite of encartia. Encartia is self control. Pornia is is out of control. Just doing whatever it is that you feel like doing. The loss of sexual self control always leads to immorality and impurity. Impurity, carthersia akarth- is the word that is generally used more than por- uh, pornia because it's it's filthiness. It's ugly. It's it's this this. It's the word that Jesus used when he was talking to the Pharisees. You know, you're whitewashed tombs, you're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're dead and filthy, acarthesia bones. It's just this dead, putrid ugliness within you. And that, by, the, by the way, out of all the ten times that it's used in the New Testament, that's the only time it's used of dead bones. Every other time it's used of sexual immorality. It's ugly, and people find pleasure in that type of a relationship, because sin is fun. And sexual immorality will promise you and give you the satisfaction for that moment, but leaves you empty and with no no reciprocal love, with no love coming back. It leaves you empty and dry, and, and it leaves you in such a way that it has nothing for you. This is why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, if you look at your outlines, flee from sexual immorality. Paul says, flee. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Paul is talking about here, sinning against your own body, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you sin against your body, you're sinning against the Holy Spirit. And this covetedness, you know, this sexual immorality, it always leads to impurity, it leads to covetedness, it leads to immoral living, it leads to more, I want more, I want more, I want more. And you're looking for love in all the wrong places, trying to find this unconditional love. And then you come to find out that the person that you're involved with, all they want you for is for that one condition. And you try to give back as much as you can to try to receive that unconditional love. But all they want is they want to take. They don't want to give. That's not love. That's lust. That's impurity. That's immorality. That's, that's the ugliness of the opposite of the love that God promises, that Satan promises. See, Satan ain't going to come to you and say, you know what? Let me have your heart. Let me have your heart. And, 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 and I will give you, you know, just everything you want. But, but you know what? When you give me your heart, I'm going to rip it out of your chest. And I'm not only going to rip it out of your chest, I'm going to chew it up and I'm going to stomp it on the ground and I'm going to hit it and throw it and kick it around and shove it back into your chest and make you feel all ugly inside. That's what I want to do to you. He doesn't say that. He says, you know what? If you would just follow your instincts, follow your heart, he says, follow your heart because the heart knows what the heart wants. You do that and guess what? You will have pleasure. You will have friends. You will be popular. You'll have all kinds of great things going on for you. That's how Satan comes to you. He doesn't come to you with a pitchfork and horns and a tail. That's not how he comes to you. He comes to you as a shining light. Because when he comes to you in the other manner, you run. Those that have professed to see a demon or a devil or something, oh, it was ugly. And what did you do? I prayed. You think that's what Satan wanted you to do was to pray? (laughs) that's not what he wants you to do. He wants you to be drawn to him. And he's not going to come to you in that manner. These demons and fangs and and people start, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, I'm praying. And and I started out and and it left. That's not what Satan wanted you to do. What Satan wants you to do is to follow the light. Follow the, 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 oh, it just feels so good. You see, the temptation is the bait. And the bait is designed to hide the hook. And once he's got you, it's a supernatural transformation that has to take place in your heart. This is why when people say, "I've been born again," a well, "Great Walk," in the manner that you have been called, walk in a worthy manner. Don't walk as you used to. Walk like you should. Walk the talk. That's where we get that word. Paul goes on to say, "Filthiness, do not." That Paul continues his warning. He says. Um, of this perversion of love by mentioning uh, an extensive list of related sins that are sure to cover every believer at one time or another. Not only should Christians never engage in sexual sin of any kind, but they should never be guilty of filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking. Those things, you just don't do that. Filthiness has to do with the general obscenity and the talk and things that people just say, disgraceful things that come out of a person's mouth. As I said last week, my mama used to say, ¿Con esa boca, con esa boca comes? <laughs> With that mouth you eat. <laughs> Foolish talk. Morologia. Moro is the word from that we get our, uh, the word moronic or, or moron. And logia is words or speak. Foolish talking. You, you know, don't, don't speak, don't, don't be talking moronically. Don't say stupid things, basically. Don't do that. It means dull or stupid. Where do you get that kind of talk from? And why is it even funny? Why do you think it's even funny? Crude joking, the same way. And and Paul is saying, "Don't, don't talk like that. Don't act like that. Don't live like that. Because those are the things that happen within a person's life. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be what? Thanksgiving. Thank God. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know how to say anything nice, just say, you know, thank you for being who you are. Thank I, I thank God. I thank God that he's blessed us. I thank God always with thanksgiving. Don't wait for once a year. Do it every day. You wake up in the morning. Thank you, Lord. You go to sleep at night. Thank you, Lord. Thank God, because this life is short. In Titus chapter 1, Titus says to the people, to the pure, I'm sorry, Paul says to Titus, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I'm a Christian. I know God. I really do. But your life doesn't reflect it. But if God forgives, you know, him and I, we got this understanding. You know, he's, I'm a work in progress. So don't judge me. That word judge always comes from people that you're trying to hold accountable. Who are you to judge? I'm trying to hold you accountable. Are you feeling judged is the way you should respond. Are you feeling judged? Because I, I never said I was judging you. I'm trying to hold you accountable. Well, you're judging me. Well, it's because you feel judged. That's why. And ultimately, God himself, only God can judge. Yeah, you're right. And he will judge you. He will condemn you. If you keep going in this manner, stop it. I love you. I want the best for you. Number three, which I don't have time for, is the bad news. This is the bad news already. You know, and beloved, let me just share with you this. This is what's happening in Canada. It's happening in the United States. It's happening in our state. It's happening in our school system. It's happening in homes right now. This is a very important message that Paul and God himself has designed for this time, a time like today. And it's a message that you've got to be clear on. And you've got to be strong to be able to stand up if this is what you believe. We've gone through this back in, when I was in Galatians. In Galatians uh, chapter 5, we talked about some of the things that, uh, that Paul talks about in 1 in, uh, Corinthians. He talks about them in uh, Chapter six, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolater, nor adulteress, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not an exhaustive list. And this is a list of some sins. There's more. But God is basically saying, Paul is basically saying, if you're involved in anything like this, And you're still involved. If you were involved at one time, okay. But if you're still involved, there's something wrong. You see, you might have been involved before. But now, you shouldn't be involved in it. It's different. You're no longer there. Your life is no longer that type of a person. Because such were some of you, Paul said. You used to be like that. Don't walk like that anymore. Don't let that come back up again. And I know that during this time, there's a lot of focus on the sexual immorality of our nation, of our of our schools, of all these things, and our government. There's going to be a lot of focus on that. But, beloved, just because you don't participate in any of that or you don't know anybody that's doing that, you still need to walk the walk that's worthy. They're all detestable to God. One small lie, if you continue to lie, coarse joking, cussing like we talked about last week, all those things, if, if that is your general practice, there's something wrong with the heart. You cannot wash your mouth with soap enough. You got to get your heart washed by the blood of Jesus. And the way that happens is you understand, you recognize, I'm a sinner. I, I, need, I need a, a like person I was talking to this last week, I'm, I'm a rotten dude. That's what he said. Oh, man, I'm a rotten dude. I don't even know. How, how can I stand before God? Well, you can't. Oh, well, what am I going to do? And you know what he says to me? He says, you know what, Sal, you have what I need. And I what I have is Jesus Christ. What you need is His forgiveness. And that forgiveness, when you understand it, you understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and took the penalty that you were supposed to take, it changes your outlook. You want to share that with other people. I am a sinner. I am a vile, wicked sinner saved by grace. I am a sinner. And it's because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And because he's done it for me, he can do it for you. What we each one of us need to understand and we need to know is that I've sinned. I've offended a holy God. and It is by grace that I've been saved through faith, not by works. I can't do it. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, died, was buried and resurrected. And one day he's coming back. That's the gospel message. And that gospel message was preached in the Old Testament. That gospel message was preached by Jesus Christ and all the apostles. And they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the four spiritual laws. They didn't have the Roman road, evangelism explosion, or whatever it is that we use today. They didn't have tracks. All they had was that they were sinners, and they offended God, and they needed to repent. When you come to that realization that you're a sinner, repent. Bottom line, just turn around, walk away. You know what, from one day to the next. Another thing this person told me, I can't do that from one day to the next. Oh, brother, do you got I got to share something with you? Let me tell you about Nicodemus. Jesus told him to be born again, just like that. And he asked the same question how how is a guy born again? Does he go back into his mother's womb and come back out? No, it's a spiritual rebirth. And from that point forward, you're saved and you walk that way. That's when he said to me, You have what I need. I have Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ. You need him right now. Let me ask you to stand. Lord, we are in a revolution. Greater than any civil revolution. Greater than any American revolution. Greater than any other revolution in history. Is the sexual revolution. That goes totally against you. And all these things, Father, that are being promoted and passed as law and accepted and permitted, all these things that people are just joyous and thankful for, all these things, Lord, are designed to go totally against you on your design of how you created man in your image and how you created woman out of the rib of man. And how you created every individual. And from the very beginning, we know that the enemy went straight against everything you ever taught and everything you ever represented. And agape, true love, the God love, the love that you have, has been taken over by Satan's love, lust, and desire. And all this impurity and all all this filthiness and vileness, that happens within a person is empty. But we know, Father, that your love, your unconditional love, we have sensed it, even from the love of a child. We've sensed how full that is in a person's heart. And and it's a childlike faith that you've called us to to be able to have and and to receive that love that you have for us because that is all we need. When we are in search of this love that the world proclaims and and promises and and promotes and, and promotes it in such a way that it is easy and fun it's now legal all it does is leave us empty. There is no childlike faith in that. It's all impure and demonic and evil and harmful. I pray Father for the families that are listening even now. I pray God that you help us to, to uh, center on that which is right, which is your word. Slowly but surely, we are being made enemies of the state. And it's, it's coming, Lord. We have been preaching this for, for years, that it's coming. The moment that new law came out, Proposition 8, and it was overturned, we knew it was coming. And we knew it was coming, Lord, because it's already written out in your book. You've already told us it's coming. So there shouldn't be any surprises there. What we need to do is stand firm. Let nothing move us. Because we know that our labor in you is not in vain. And we will persevere and we will continue until the end. So, Father, I pray for this small group of believers here that that make a change in their own life so they can make that change within their own families, in their places of employment, of their places of influence. For that's how change takes place. So dismiss us now, Father. Keep us totally focused on you and on who you are and what you do. Until we come back next week to conclude this message, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. All right. Let me ask you to uh, like us on Facebook. If you have a Facebook page to share this message, Uh, let people know that we're also on SoundCloud, YouTube, and uh, get the message out. Amen? Thank you. God bless you.